All right, well, welcome to Theology 101. This is night three, and we are on article number two, the Bible. This will be part one of the Bible. And my name is Rachel Nelson, as Tammy said, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as the children's ministry director here at the South Park campus. If I have not had the pleasure to meet you, I would love to. And uh, so it's a joy to be together tonight. So thanks for being here with us. I love talking about the Bible. I love the Bible and uh, love talking about it. Well, I want to begin by reading Psalm 1910, and uh, I'll read the whole passage in a second, but just verse 10, uh, referring to Scripture, referring to the words of Scripture, the law of the Lord, it says, they are more to be desired than gold, even than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Well, I want to tell you a story, and while I'm telling you a story, my husband is going to give everybody a little bit of honey for you to keep just to remember it. So Jewish history tells us that on the first day of school, for of course just the little boys, the little boys first day of school, they had this really special ceremony that I can't pronounce, but one part of the ceremony is that the rabbi would put some honey on the slate that they were learning to read from and have the little boys lick it off of the slate. And um, I think it's a great reminder to us in Psalm 19.10 that his words are sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey. And you know, honey might not be way, way back then, like honey was their sweetest treat. That was it, right? There was nothing else. We have other sweet treats now. So think about what your favorite sweet treat is. Think about whatever that is for you and think about what it's like when you don't get it, you can't have it, or you only get one bite of it, right? How does that leave you feeling wanting? I know when I have, you know, my favorite kind of chocolate around, I, I want more. Like one taste isn't enough. I want another taste and another taste. I want more. I crave it. I can't get enough. And so that is my prayer for us. Um, is that we will crave the word of God like honey, and it will be sweeter than honey to us. We might not learn anything new tonight, I'll be honest with you. We might not learn anything new. You might have learned everything from evangelical convictions. You might have already known it. Um, but despite that, I pray that we would crave the word of God um, and enjoy it, just like we do honey or whatever that is that is your favorite treat. I want to read the rest of Psalm 19 now. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them, there is great reward. Let me pray again for us as we get started. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together to look into your word. God, may you help each of us grow in our understanding of scripture and in our awe of scripture, and may it just transform us. May we crave it even more so than honey on the honeycomb, whatever that sweet treat is. 
Spirit, thank you for your presence. We pray that you would be our teacher and you would illuminate scripture to us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I want to very quickly read our article two to you. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As a verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it's to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, entrusted in all that it promises. All right, well, let's take a look at an optical illusion. Does anybody like optical illusions? All right, so are those lines straight or curved? The red lines. Okay, how do you know? How do you know those lines are straight? Okay, how do you prove it? Okay, hold some kind of standard of measure next to it. All right, the next one, which spot is larger? How do you know for sure? And how would you test it? You would need to measure it. Um, we perceive things in a certain way. We perceive that the lines look bent, or we perceive that this spot is bigger. We perceive things in a certain way, but our perceptions can be really distorted. Think about some of the things that distort our perceptions. What distorts our reality? It could be from our upbringing. It could be just the voice, all the different voices of the world. It could be the lies of the enemy. It could be my own subjective thoughts and feelings. It could be unhealthy friends and family members. Right? All those things can distort our reality. So we must have a standard of measure to measure truth because there is absolute truth. And that standard of measure is the scripture, God's word. So tonight... Um, there's a lot in that article, isn't there? So tonight we are going to put that down. I'm going to keep holding it. Tonight we're going to talk about three things. Revelation of scripture, general and specific, and under specific falls inspiration. The canonization of scripture, some of these words we're going to practice saying ten times fast just for fun. Um, and the uniqueness and unity of scripture. So that's tonight. And then next week we will hit the three characteristics of scripture, inerrancy, sufficiency, and authority. And we will talk about our response to scripture, which is to believe, trust, and obey. And hopefully unpack those in a little bit different way than like the good old hymn, trust and obey for there's no other way. Anybody remember that one? Because that's the first thing I thought of when I read that was that hymn, like great, trust and obey. So that'll be next week. All right, so to start us off tonight, just by way as an introduction, as we're talking about scripture, we first want to talk about and... Um, Evangelical Convictions talks about first that God is a God who speaks. He chose to communicate with us. And I think this is a really unique quality of Christianity because when you think about other religions and their deity, do they directly communicate with their worshipers? So our God is a God who speaks. Now, Tammy taught us a lot of great character traits of God, and one of them is self-existent or independent. God doesn't need us. So if he doesn't need us, why did he create us? Why did he create us? To love us. to love us. 
He created us because he wanted to have a relationship and he wanted to redeem a people for himself. Well, then you think, okay, well, how did he do that? Well, he had to speak. God spoke through creation, through the prophets, through the apostles, and then his son, and through scripture via human authors. So God speaks. We have a God who speaks. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. God has spoken to initiate a relationship with you. You know, really think about that. We get so familiar with these truths we just kind of, they roll off our shoulders and they don't penetrate our heart. Um, so God has initiated a relationship with you and with me. So how has he done that? He's done that through revelation. So A, revelation. There are two types of revelation. The first type is general revelation. And then the second type is special. So general revelation, the Bible is not necessary for general revelation. And this is how Wayne Grudem explains it in Bible Doctrine. Um, the knowledge of God's exist existence, character, and moral law, which comes through creation to all humanity, is often called general revelation because it comes to all people generally. So all people receive God's general revelation. It doesn't matter the saved, the unsaved, the wicked. They all receive God's general revelation. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 is a great scripture to show us God's general revelation. And I love this passage. I remember memorizing this with my family as a kid. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Isn't that cool that the heavens pour out speech? Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So all people can have an understanding that there is a creator by his creation. And they have no excuse to not pursue him, to not seek him out. And I would say that if a man seeks him out, a man or woman seeks him out, that God is going to provide a means. God is going to provide him there. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. So even, even the wicked have some internal knowledge or perception that God exists and he's a powerful creator and they're without excuse. Also through general, general revelation, God has instilled a moral compass in each person's conscience. You know, do we really ever debate with non-believers whether murder is right or wrong? Well, how do we agree on that? That lying is right or wrong? That, that abusing a child is right or wrong? God has instilled a moral compass in each one of our hearts, our consciences, and that's through general revelation. And um, Romans 2, 14 through 15 says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they're a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. 
their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. Okay, so now we get to the question. Okay, that's great. General revelation is great. goes to all mankind. We know there's a God. We know there's a creator. But, there's a big but coming. But, is general revelation enough to come into a saving relationship with God? And the answer is a big no. General revelation is not enough to come into a saving relationship with God through Christ. We need special revelation. So number two, special revelation. We do need the Bible. Special revelation is through the Bible for special revelation. And this is how Wayne Grudem explains it. General revelation is distinct from special revelation, which refers to God's words addressed to specific people, such as the words of the Bible, the words of the Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles, and the words of God spoken in personal address, such as at Mount Sinai or at Jesus' baptism. So special revelation. Special revelation is necessary to understand the gospel. It is necessary for salvation. God has really good news to communicate with his people, and he does communicates the word of truth in a way that people can understand it through scripture. Ephesians 1.13 refers to, um, you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. Colossians 1.5 again says, you heard the true message of the gospel. So special revelation is needed for a saving knowledge um, saving relationship with God through Christ. All right, and then kind of under special revelation, we have nested the inspiration of Scripture. So this special revelation is the inspired Word of God, inspiration. And we affirm in our statement of faith that the Bible is the verbally inspired Word of God. We affirm that it is God-breathed. And 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 is a great Scripture for that. Just verse 16 all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, what are you actually doing when you are talking? When you're talking, you're actually exhaling, aren't you? You're breathing out. Those of you who wear glasses during this pandemic with your masks, like you suffer through that, don't you? You're breathing out because they get fogged up. Um, so when we think about that scripture, it's God breathed. God breathed, he spoke out his divine words to us. In Evangelical Convictions, it says on page 56, when we say that the Bible is verbally a verbally inspired book, we mean that God is worked by his Holy Spirit through the instrumentality of the whole personality, life experiences, and literary talents of its human authors to produce the very words that God desired to be written to reveal himself and his purposes to human beings. And I think it's so cool that God chose to use not only human authors, but he used their personalities, right? Like you can read something, maybe somebody reads you something, you're not sure where it's from, and you can tell like, wow, that, that sounds like Matthew. Right? He used their personalities. He used their gifts. He used, and it just gives a uniqueness and a personality to Scripture. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 is a great whole passage, but just verse 20 and 21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what a great, clear explanation of inspiration. God, through the Holy Spirit, God spoke to human author, holy men of God, and inspired them to write down the exact words that he wanted communicated. And that's the process of inspiration. One other thing to note, um, just kind of with inspiration as well, is illumination. That it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates scripture to us and causes us to understand it. God expects that we would all be able to understand it and that we'll be able to talk about it and apply it. And nobody is too foolish to understand and believe scriptures. That's another thing that's really beautiful about Christianity and about scripture. That God gives us everything we need to understand it through discernment of the Holy Spirit. Um, in Ephesians, these three verses kind of talk about that a little bit. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, these commandments that I give you are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them to your kids. Children can understand. And Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So the simple can understand scriptures through illumination, through the Holy Spirit. All right, B, our next big heading here, B, canonization. Canonization. So when we say canonicity, we're talking about the process of determining the genuinely inspired writings. When we talk about the word canon, the canon is the 66 books recognized as having divine authority by Jesus in the early church. The word canon means rule or norm and is used of the Bible. It means which books are the normative books for Christian faith and practice. Those considered canonical are the ones held to be inspired of God. They were the books written by the prophets or the apostles. That's from Systematic Theology. So God guided holy men in the selection of these 66 books that we hold as our scripture. Now note that there are other writings. There, are a lot of, there were a lot of writings. But these 66 made the canon. The other writings were measured according to certain measuring criteria and were not found to be of the same criteria as these 66. And the canon is closed. There is no adding to the canon or taken away. Men didn't create the canon. Men recognized the 66 books that God had in mind to reveal for his written word. So we have the Old Testament canon, which is 39 books. How did we get the Old Testament canon? First, God inspired it. Inspiration of God. He took the first step. He took the first step by inspiring it. Secondly, it was just the recognition of men. Men of God assented to the authority of a book by recognizing, is it a prophetic utterance? And the third way that we recognize the Old Testament canon is um, the collection and preservation by the people of God. And of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls was a great example of a people collecting and preserving the scriptures. And I also think it's really cool to note that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament 350 times. That attests to the authenticity of the Old Testament. And a lot of those were Jesus when it says, the scripture says, thus says the scripture, thus says the Lord, you know, it quote 350 times. And then secondly, we have the New Testament canon, 27 books. 
And our early church fathers used three kind of criteria for determining these. The book must conform in unity to all the other books. There must be unity. Um, the book must have direct contact with the apostles, with eyewitnesses. And thirdly, it must have had good acceptance in the early church and in worship, those that were greatly used and accepted. Those are the three criteria for the New Testament canon. Another good thing to note here is that no human person, pastor, no church ever stands over the authority of the scripture. So not even Billy Graham, not the Pope, not the Evangelical Free Church of America, nothing stands over the authority and inspiration of scripture. So, um, you know, we've all, one thing to note as well is interpretation. We talked about illumination, the Holy Spirit illuminates for us to interpret, but also just to talk about interpretation. If we think about it, we've all been exposed to some bad interpretation, probably, right? People taking things out of context, and I would encourage us all to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us in discernment, to look at the whole of Scripture, look at the whole story, compare passages, um, listen to a variety of godly teachers to help us in interpreting, um, to seek the intent. God has a specific um, explanation, a specific meaning for the text that he will help us to discover. And that, that is our goal. So in summary, God inspired, men recognized it, and the people of God collected and preserved the canon. So letter C, lastly here, uniqueness and unity. Did anybody when they were little ever play the fun game of telephone where you sit in a circle and you tell the next person a sentence and they tell and they tell and they tell. And what happens as it goes around the circle gets greatly distorted very quickly, very quickly. So think about the uniqueness and unity of scripture. Think about how many thousands of years all the copies, and it is the most unique and unified piece of literature we have. In general intro to the Bible, Geisler and Nix, it says, the Bible is a biblos, a single book. The word Bible means single book. It is two testaments, better called covenants or agreements between God and his people. Those two parts of the Bible are inseparably related. I love this part. The New Testament is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. So just some fun facts for the uniqueness of the Bible here. It's written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages and over three continents, and it all fits together. It's one story one central character. And again, we know that, but let's stop and, and think about that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Sure, there are things that are unclear in Scripture. There are things that maybe are gray areas, maybe things God doesn't specifically address. Um, but we can be confident that God's saving message of the gospel is recorded in a way that is truth and that we can can understand and come to a saving knowledge and that is giving us everything we need for life and practice. Um, so I'm going to end with this quote from God to us, from Norm Geisler, from God to us. The Bible is a unique book. 
It's one of the oldest books in the world, and yet it is still the world's bestseller. It's a product of the ancient Eastern world, but it has molded the modern Western world. Tyrants have burned the Bible, and believers revere it. It's the most quoted, the most published, the most translated, and the most influential book in the history of mankind. And my prayer is that the word of God may grow to be sweeter than honey to you. May you enjoy it. May you crave it and can't get enough of it. And before I close in prayer, I just want to encourage you, if you didn't have time to get some of the experiential homework pieces, that it's never too late. You can still do those. You can, I would just want to encourage you to do one or two, and I'll have more of those in tomorrow's homework, of those experiential homework pieces where you're just reading in a certain setting or doing a certain thing and really um, meditating on it and reflecting on it. All right, let me close in prayer. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this time and um, thank you for your spirit that illuminates and shows us. God, I do pray for each one of us that we would all grow in our, in our understanding we would all grow in our deep love for scripture. And God, I do pray for each one of us that, that reading our Bible and spending time in the word is not a chore that we just check off on our to-do list for the day and our, okay, I'm a good Christian today list. God, that, but I ask for each one of us that you would instill a craving for your word and enjoyment to just sit in your word with you and that we just cannot get enough of it, and we come back for more and more. And may we spill that joy over onto those around us so that they can see it and catch it as well, and so that you would be glorified. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that you are truth. And God, we're so grateful now to spend an hour together just talking about this and hashing through it and praying about it and applying it. Holy Spirit, please guide us in our understanding and our application of, of what difference this is going to make in my life today and tomorrow because of these truths about Scripture. And we trust you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.